Hello everyone, welcome to Inspected Goals, the pod that tries to improve our FPL play through a more analytical approach. Uh, we are back, Sam, after a week's hiatus uh, from holiday. You're out in the outback camping, I hear. I've come back from Greece. How was the time off, bud? Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, it's always one of my favourite weeks of the year. We go away and lead on a on a kids' camp over the summer, but you feel very tired afterwards, so it doesn't feel like a holiday in that way. Um, but it also means I've watched watched less football over the last week, so you'll, you'll have to excuse me for that. I don't know if you're the same. Yeah, very much so. Very tired. Only got back at uh, what ended up being about quarter past two in the morning um, after my flight got delayed on the way in and on the way out, unfortunately. But it was a very good holiday Great. with my kids, so uh, tiring as well, as you can imagine. And tried to sneak away, get down the pub on occasion because the hotel I was staying in didn't actually show the football. So I'm, I could sneak off every now and then, but there's only so much you can justify that to the family <laughs> just to just say I'm going to the pub to watch it. Um, so I watched a couple of the matches, but nowhere near as many as I'd like. And I need to catch up with that this week, to be honest, because I missed the cracker, especially for the Man City game. I haven't seen that game at all yet. So devastated about that. But sure. yeah, it was good. It was good to have a little break. Um, we're back refreshed and ready to go, though. I was back on Saturday, so I managed to see the Man City game on the Sunday. Um, it was class. You know, what a game of football. I don't know if you, I assume you've seen the highlights. I've seen um, the highlights, yeah. It, was, it wasn't even, yeah, uh, it wasn't even like Newcastle just like nicked a goal. The whole game, they were brilliant. They just played so well. Took the game to City. I think that's what made it so entertaining. The fact it was actually a close match rather than the drama of like a lesser team mm. nicking a goal and Man City being frustrated. It was pretty, uh, it was close. It was great. Um, great game of football. And then I managed to watch the, uh, uh, second half of the Arsenal game uh, as well, seeing all the highlights. Mm. Um, yeah, excited to get back into chatting about it. How was how was it? How was actual FPL going for you then? Uh, not great. Like like most, I think the game week was a bit of a, a shambles, wasn't it? Um, my original planned move was going to be Gabriel to Perisic. Um, if I didn't start with Perisic, obviously given the, the leaks that we had early, I abandoned the plan of having him. And then saved the money, so I had 0.5 in the bank for Gabriel to Perisic game week three if I knew he was going to start. And I kind of thought, do you know what, I'm I'm not going to take the punt, even though I think he's going to start, just because it's probably going to cause me some issues later. And I'm trying to avoid these punts that I do all the time like in that in that regard um, and play in a more analytical way. So I thought I'll keep off him. Um, Sods Laurie goes and scores 12. Um, I, that's one of the games I actually watched, to be fair. Spurs were awful in the first half, but, mm. but Perisic was, was much better in the second um, but I'm not beating myself up about that. I know he's a great pick if you can get the, the minutes right. And there's obviously, we're going to talk about it in a bit, but there's potentially some issues with him now um, coming into the coming game weeks. But um, yeah, I actually ended up uh, swapping Robertson for Diaz, essentially, because I had my two free transfers. Uh, I bought in Kukurea for Robertson and then bought in Diaz oh. for Neto. So the only reason I really did that, I mean, Review suggested it to me, was the number one reason I did it. The second reason was that um, they were going down in price, you know, uh, Neto and Robertson potentially. So it was more about saving the money. Um, and otherwise, I didn't really know what I'd do. I'd just end up burning a transfer. So even though I thought Robertson would actually do well, he didn't. I think he ended up on zero points in there. I think he did. Um, uh, Kukurella did the same. So points-wise, 44 for me, um, which is, I think, four below the average. Um, and yeah, Perisic outscored my entire back line, my back five, uh, and my goalkeeper. But rest of the team was fine. You know, I had Martinelli, had Jesus, had Haaland, and had Salah captain, which pretty much saved the game week, to be fair. And uh, Andreas Pereira with eight points on the bench, um, which at one stage was looking like he may, he may come in for me, depending on um, the Man City team. But I, I've got Cancelo, whereas others had DS, but we'll talk about that again yeah. in a while. So do, I think you had quite similar points as well, didn't you? 
Uh, even even worse, mate. <laughs> I got I got thirty nine in the end. My the only players who returned for me were Martinelli, Holland, and Salah captaincy. So it's a really bad week. Um, but yeah. yeah, because of it being early in the season, actually a surprisingly low amount of people owning Salah, relatively, like that captaincy actually helped my rank a lot. But whether it helped me against managers who we're going to be competing with at the end of the season, I'm not sure. Um, and yeah, and uh, I also yeah same thing. I had Pereira first sub, started Williams instead. Fancied the clean sheet, well, a chance of a clean sheet against Everton, which was close. Um, and yeah, I had a really one of those frustrating moments where, because because I was away, just completely missed a price drop. So I sold sold Bailey, but I've now got 0.4 in the back instead instead of 0.5, which is really frustrating at this stage. Yeah, annoying. Um, yeah, but no, okay. Like I'm, I've, my rank I think is about two million or something like that. But at this stage, I'm like ten, maybe ten points off one million, um, mm. so so not not too concerned about anything, and still undecided on my decisions for next week. Yeah, have you got two free transfers now? Yeah, I still got two. Okay. Yeah, makes it tricky. Yeah, it's the price. Uh, we haven't really talked about it much, I suppose, but the price changes do annoy me slightly. Still, I don't like the way that it works. I do. I do think that it's important to keep them because it creates that strategy part of the game. Um, that is quite intriguing. And I do like the whole idea of risk versus reward to some extent. But I think when they literally make you almost have to move to someone that you don't particularly like over the option you've got, and I know that there is a decision, you don't have to do it, but it does feel like you get backed into corners sometimes to do it. And it creates more template teams, I think. Mm. Um, again, I've talked about it before. The best managers in the world somehow managed to just completely ignore them. Um, but losing that point one now, as you're going to allude to, just does have a massive effect on your early doors, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does early in the season when a lot of the differences are 0.5 in players. Mm. So I'd, I'd have a really easy, simple transfer decision this week, like Iverson to Sanchez or Williams to Dunk, it would be for me. But I can't do that in one move now, so now it's a tricky decision about who I downgrade. Mm. Um, so it affects things like that, I guess. And I, I think the thing, I feel sorry for people who don't live uh, in well, I suppose in Western Europe, where we are, there's the price changes happen in the middle of the night. So at least yeah. you know I'll do it before the end of the day and you wake up and see them. But if it happens in the middle of like your working day or something like that, I don't know. I just find that that must be frustrating. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. And I wonder if in general it would be helpful if they were just the same time. If, if price changes were just once a week, like on the deadline or after the deadline or something I think it should be at deadline for each week. The prices deadline. have changed each week. Yeah, I think that would work pretty well. And and it actually tell you who's going up and down as well. I know that would still force similar moves, but at least it would it would allow you a week to keep a player. Like I, I know Robertson didn't end up scoring well, but I didn't want to sell Robertson ahead of the game particularly. Um, yeah, it just feels like a move that could easily backfire and ruin your weekend. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to do it, but ended up having to do it unless I wanted to burn a transfer. I, th- I think that would work better personally. Um, but yeah, after the back of a, Pretty shocking week. I see some talk in the community while I was away about wildcarding, when to wildcard, and it's obviously one of our subjects today. Um, it always feels after a bad week that you need to try and do something about your team. Um, but I don't think that's always the case. Um, so yeah, when to wildcard. Do you have any thoughts at the moment? Is there any particular point in time that you've, uh, you've looked at or any particular game week where you focused in? I know early season we were thinking sort of halfway. Um, has that changed at all? Yeah, uh, yeah. So in my head, it's going to be game week eight or nine, I think. But like, I'm willing to be flexible on that. But I just don't think I'll need to be because this year, again, because 
we've gone on about it because the prices are so low. It's very, very easy to have a team you're happy with, to be honest. Uh, and so I think it's unlikely that even in two weeks, I'll suddenly think, oh, I've got loads of problems in my team, unless there's like loads of injuries or something. Mm. Um, it, it could happen, like maybe, but I can't see it. Um, but as in previous years, he probably had more diversity and, and less of a template. So you, there was more of that need to be... So I guess probably the case time. I would feel like I'm not set on that and by any means. Um, I like the idea of having two transfers the week before I wildcard and then being able to do something for that one week if a big team has a bad fixture. Um, so, for example, I believe in game week eight, Liverpool play Chelsea, I think it is. So that's quite a nice one where you could just like for one week sell Salah for KDB Son, whoever has the better fixture, for example, and know you can wildcard them straight in if there's not lots of price changes. So I, I like the idea with that with a wildcard. And I think in general, if if you're panicking and think you might need to wildcard, just wait. <laughs> uh, maybe think about it the next day because it can be easy, like you said, uh, emotionally to think you need to. Uh, and like I'm in that kind of position now where like I think previous seasons, like when I was playing more casually, maybe like four or five seasons ago, I would like wildcard about now because I'm annoyed because I've got Saka and Robertson and they're not doing anything. Mm. Whereas you have to think, think logically, they're still really good picks and, and not, yeah, not panic. Yeah, I've got literally no desire to wildcard. I'm like, my team's okay. It was a poor score. I think there's, um, you know, there's players that I'd like to have in my team. You can't have them all. And, um, I think letting other people make, I'm, I'm, I think it would be a mistake to wildcard this early if your team's in a similar state to say what ours is. You know, I can't speak for everyone. It depends on their particular circumstances, but certainly not off of the back of a, a game week's result or even three games week's result. It's interesting that you said about in game week eight making two free transfers. When I run my team through review, that's exactly what it suggests to me. It actually just mm-hmm. suggests selling um, Trent Alexander-Arnold um, and I can't remember who else it is, but basically bringing in Bruno Fernandes and Trippier for Trent Alexander-Arnold and someone else in game week eight. Um, just just because it, if I'm going to wildcard in game week nine, it's Diaz, it is switch Diaz to Fernandes. Yeah. Um, then, then uh, that makes sense to do for that particular week. Um, up until then, though, on review, I've pretty much got, depending on what, what settings I've put in it, to make no transfers. I've got one plan where it, it likes doing Haaland to Kane, uh, just simply because of the expected minutes, which we're going to talk about again in a, in a bit. Uh, outside that one transfer, it only likes using those two in game week eight for me, um, and none the rest of the time, which has been similar apart from this you know, the whole thing with Robertson and Cucurella, they were the only suggested transfers and, the op- and there was an option to burn, which was equally as good. And it yeah. just feels like it's that way for a lot of people. I saw FPL Salah on Twitter saying he's going to burn his transfer potentially for the second week running. He's not made a single move yet. That's, it's absolute craziness, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just it's the prices again, isn't it? Yeah, they're just, they've, they've really messed up there, I think. Um, I don't blame them for the best teams having the best fixtures, essentially. There's not much you can do about that. That's true. Um you know, it is a good thing that we don't have to make transfers. I see people already saying, you know, it's just terrible. I need to shake it up. I need to do X, Y, Z. And that's why the desire is there. But if if there's weeks I've got where I can consider burning a transfer, that is better than having to solve a load of issues, right? I take that end of the spectrum rather than the other side. So I'm not going to complain. And I do think eventually you know, things will start to change. Inevitably, we will pick up injuries and, and God knows what else that will that will affect it. So I'm not in any rush to change my team in any way. I think game week nine for me is the is the clear opportunity to, to wildcard if all goes to plan, um, just simply because it's around the middle. And there is a few 
a few sort of fixture swings. The only issues I've got with the fixture swings there is a lot of the teams that actually you probably would look to bring in at that point. So I'm a little bit of research um, looking at the fixtures. Mm. Um, are not the teams that have started the best or teams that you would think now at this point I particularly want to have them. So Aston Villa have got a good run from game week eight. I think so you, if you were to wildcard in game week nine, you would maybe consider some of their players. You've got Bournemouth, who, I mean, their good run starts from game week five, to be honest, but it goes on for quite a way. Um, and game week nine, you could you could easily go into Bournemouth for a, for a few game weeks. And Slanky was, is the standout pick there, and he's obviously not lit up lit up any fires at the moment because he's mm. not been playing um, more than anything. I would suggest you've got Brentford, who are already on a good run, but they were also good from nine. So you could look to maybe switch to the strikers, um, you know, Tony, and, and play more up front. I think that's good. The other standout ones are Fulham, Mitrovic. I think he's pretty good from that run. Leicester have a good run, and Crystal Palace stand out, and I do like them. I think they're playing well enough at the moment in hard games where when they have easier games from that run sort of starts around game week 10 um, it's a really nice run from that point and I think that there there will be good options I think Zaha and, and the likes of Gay or Anderson and Mitchell will be quite popular at that point Yeah. Um, so yeah my concern really there is like if I am going to wildcard for a fixture changes a lot of the teams I've just mentioned like I say are not the, the top tier teams they're not the teams that we are used to picking now it's very hard to Look at your team as it is at the moment. See all these star names. I've literally got a super six team, you know, from the top five or six teams in the league, and I'm potentially going to wildcard to take those guys out and bring in players from Villa, Bournemouth, Brentford, Palace, Everton, Fulham, you know, Leicester. I've got a good run as well. It doesn't sound great, but if the fixtures are there and the expected points are there. That's probably what I'm going to end up doing. It'd be interesting to see. It. Just, it's just just a thought that's just come to mind now. You've said that. I wonder if we'll get to game week eight and nine, and for the reasons you've just mentioned, a lot of people. If they're doing really well and they've got a really good team with lots of those good players, mm. whether they'll just delay it and delay it and then it'll get to within three weeks of the World Cup and they'll think, oh, I'll just use my World Card as a free hit in that last week. I it it if, could be. could be a thing that people do. Yeah, it just kind of came to mind when you said that. And what you mentioned there about bad teams having good fixtures, the same is the case for Arsenal in, in game week nine, they play Spurs. Uh, game week 10, they play Liverpool, but then they're straight into a really good fixture after that against Leeds. So you could end up like dropping your three Arsenal players, and then you two game weeks later you suddenly want to get all three back in, mm. um, or two back in, and you might not have the means to do that. So again, there'll be decisions. There'll be definitely big decisions to be made around game week eight and nine. Yeah. We do use it then. I um, think combined also, with the fixtures, it's going to be the expected minutes thing, which we're talking about with these with the top teams playing games every three days. The appeal is going to be there that you're just going to get that ninety minutes out of a lot of the players from these teams. Mm. Um, but I think there is a balance to be had still. I don't think I'm just going to sell you know, Man City and Liverpool a favourite to win. As we saw from FPL Chase's graphics, you know, that their XG compared to their opponents is, is good in virtually every game. doesn't mean the fixtures don't matter. They obviously do. They, have, they still vary depending on the opponent. But they're still of a high enough standard, the teams, where you'd expect them to, to be able to cope with it. It's more on the minute side than the, the performance. So I do think there will be a balance there to be had, not just completely load your, your team with these players. And it's hard to talk about it now because it's obviously five weeks on. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe some managers can even be sacked by then. I think someone's in the chat saying, well, Gerard might be gone by then. It's a very good point. It could be, could be, couldn't he, the way they've started. Could be, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think at the moment that's the plan I've got in my head. And I think, mo- yeah, you did mention it, that if you need to wildcard, then you wildcard, especially this this season with the fact that you get that forced one in game week 16, it seems to be less valuable than it's ever been. So I mm-hmm. feel like if you need to use it, there's not a problem. But to wildcard because your team didn't do particularly well in game week three, two or one, I wouldn't say it's a good enough reason. If you pick the players for a, 
you know, because they are good options on paper, such as Saka. I don't think you just need to wildcard to get rid of Saka ahead of three great fixtures. It just seems mad to me, yeah. but there we go. But I guess, but not everyone's in the same position as us, or like people, there'll be people probably listening to this who have only like, maybe, maybe, maybe they made a team for their work league for the first time, and they've suddenly decided in game week two or three to start to like, oh, I'll start to listen to a podcast. And they might be, there might be people listening to this who don't have Salah, for example, and don't have Trent's, don't have any Man City defenders, etc. So you, you might be in a position where you need to wildcard. So I wouldn't take that, yeah, like you said, no. that for everyone. For some people, that will be a good idea. And another thing that'll be interesting as well is, from game week eight, Liverpool have, um, as I mentioned, Chelsea. They've also got City, Arsenal, and Brighton in the next. They're the four fixtures in a row, and that's going to be really interesting, I think, to see who's brave enough, or whether it is brave or stupid to go without any of them at that point. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I'm obviously talking specifically about Salah and Trent, who are the two that we generally would suggest you keep for the whole season. But that'll be really interesting. Yeah, and see what happens around that point. And Irons makes a good point in the chat there. Thanks for joining us. Do you see yourself more likely to take punts game week 9 to 16 as we have the unlimited World Cup transfers? So I suppose you could apply that now as well. If you are planning to wildcard in game week 8 or 9, is it more viable to bring in a player like Perisic? Because you know if it does go wrong, or, or another player, that you, you you can obviously fix that very quickly. Mm. Um, and I think I think that is a decent point. I think when you know you have an out, a guaranteed out, and you're not going to cause yourself minus fours and structure issues. I do think there is a little bit more of an impetus to um, to bring in players that you're less confident on in certain areas, so basically minutes, I would say, because I don't think you bring in a player just because you've got a gut feel. Yeah. Um, you know, if, you, if they're a good player with good stats and um, the main concern is you're not sure if they're going to play, then I think there is there is opportunity there to potentially you know be above the crowd and say well I, I do think this player is going to get the minutes in these two weeks and people will be put off as a result. Perisic mm. is the classic example from this week I would say. Yeah, it's the players that would potentially be a long term problem in, in your team, isn't mm. it? But they have potentially like short high upside, um, but yeah, there's, that long term doesn't exist when you've got that mm. wild card. Um, or, or even a player yeah. who say 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 the main player is injured and a backup player has come in. So, I, I don't know, Rodrigo is maybe a good example. We're not sure of his first choice for, for Leeds, but it, it certainly appears like he is at the moment. If you're worried that he's going to drop out because Bamford is going to come back in up front um, and uh, Sinistra is going to take his position, then probably wouldn't go for, with Rodrigo. I personally wouldn't. But now I think there's an argument where you could say, well, I am going to do it because I'm going to ride it for three or four weeks and as soon as there's a problem, I'll just hit the wild card if I need to. Um, yeah, yeah. Or even if a lot of us might have two free transfers at that point when it becomes a problem anyway, the way it's going. So I do think there is a there is more scope to do it. The fact that we've got a lot of the four million defenders like Nico Williams, um, Emerson, who's gone to West Ham now, I assume he's going to get into the team at some point. Um, and then obviously you've got the Everton guy, Patterson. You've got Pereira at 4.5 as well. We have got a lot of players on the bench where I wouldn't be too worried about them even coming in as well. So it just mm-hmm. seems like a perfect blend. seems like we've not had really had this amount of cheap players that are viable, but then we're not actually needed because the whole the whole of every player is cheap from the top teams. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's like these would yeah, be yeah. gifts in other seasons, but they're not particularly gifts this time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I completely agree with what you just said. Yeah, I think um, it's also just a big thing about just how, how much value the defence is, and that was a trend from last year, wasn't it, that we now see now, and a lot of those players you've talked about there are the... Well, those players that are good, cheap players are often midfielders or strikers that are a similar price to defenders that are just so reliable in the big teams and we can afford them all. <laughs> mm. um, so I think, yeah, 
So it's definitely, uh, definitely interesting. I hadn't thought about your point there, actually, about not only what Ian said about punting later on near the World Cup, but even now that's the case to more of an extent um, than normal. Definitely feels like it. It seems like it's more focused between um, short-term games, doesn't it, because of the way it's broke up. But we still play the long game because we don't know what's going to emerge. I think that's always the general advice, like why people are in a position where they don't have free transfers to use because they've, they've looked at a scope of sort of seven to eight game weeks and it's yep. worked out okay. That's fine. I think you can throw the odd one in there. I do, I do think that is possible now. Um, we're going to look at some minutes for key. It's under the, the the title here of minutes for key players for us, but really it's just talking about some of the top teams and obviously the concerns in the community. That's what we aim to do is look at look at what the hot topics are, and that certainly seems to be the case that the best teams, you know, City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, they are going to be playing games every three days, pretty much from this point onwards, because the Champions League has to be done at least until the World Cup. Um, and our teams are littered with these players, so is it going to cause us issues? Um, we're starting just looking at City and we already have some quotes from um, Guardiola saying that Haaland's basically not going to play all the games. He's not going to start them when they have games every three days. Um, so, yeah, we've we've got concerns straight away because I think a lot of us have actually got Haaland in our team. Do you have a, a read on when he might look to rest him? I mean, we're taking him on his word at the moment as well. He might not rest him, I suppose. But uh, Yeah, I think he probably will rest him. Yeah, that would be my... In terms of not get a start, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next three he's on the bench for one of them, just because Guardiola specifically mentioned it. Mm. Um, and even if we don't see that, I think we'll three, see three earlier subs than normal. Um, but yeah, I'm consi- like I've actually considered even selling Holland this week for Kane because of the reason I mentioned before about how I need that extra 0.1 to right. upgrade someone and the annoying. And I'm trying to find somewhere to do that on my team, and that's a like an obvious way to do it where I'm potentially getting ahead, ahead of other people. Uh, I don't think I'll do it because of because <laughs> of Haaland's fixture this week and just how good he is. Um, but I think it's viable to the extent that I've actually considered it this week. And I think it will be really popular after this game week if we see Haaland play a lot of minutes. Mm. Um, and then particularly if there's comments, again, from Guardiola. Um, I think you probably... I don't know. I honestly think it's... I feel like it's guesswork. Uh, yeah. I would, like if I had to guess, maybe the mid like the midweek one would probably be the one I would guess. Yeah, you've then got a two, right, two game gap. Sorry, two day gap until the weekend game. So he's rested for the weekend, which I think is Villa, uh, which you might consider to be more difficult than the midweek fixture, which is can't remember the top Forest. Forest. Forest, yeah. Um, yeah. So well, that would be, be my I like guess, that. I guess, but. I think I think if you want to play truly safe, then Review does actually have Kane as um, only 0.2. So 6.5 for Haaland for expected points this week, 6.7 for Kane. So 0.2 above. Mm. Um, over the entire period up to game week eight, Haaland's 28 points at the moment. Kane's 29.7. And obviously that changes. So gaining 1.7 points by making the transfer at some stage. Um, I think the, the main issue with the transfer this week is... If Haaland does start versus Forest, his expected points are very, very high. Yeah. So it's it's the immediate burn that you might get on that that is the worry. Um, I think after that is fine. I think from game week six, Kane's a lot better um, in in game week six fixture anyway. Two points difference. Um, just my thoughts on the on the Haaland rotation. I do think it will probably happen, and I do think he'll probably come off the bench even when he is rested because. We were talking about it we went, before we went live. I don't think it's just Pep, but Pep especially, and you saw it in the friendly that just happened, he does talk about momentum, rhythm a lot, 
And especially in the early season, there's no need to rest players and he doesn't rest players for rest players' sake. And I do agree with what he says. Most of the time when he changes a player, it is a tactical reason. Usually when he has rested players, it is the game before the Champions League tie. Um, that is the pattern that clear, clearly happened last season. If people want to go back and look, you will see uh, players dropped, not just for a tactical reason. In my mind, they were rested. Um, but the caveat to that is the game before the Champions League was very, very often a home game versus a, an easy side. Um, it just fell that way all the time. It was always like a home to Everton or something before the Champions League. So we had more scope to do so. I mean, if you look to the fixtures, you'd say Forrest is more likely that he would rest players compared to the Villa game. I know Villa are all over the place at the moment, but away to Villa is not as not as easy a fixture on paper as it is versus Forrest, right? Yeah. But the fact that Villa is the game before the Champions League makes me think that that is still, with the information we've got, the most likely game that he would rest. And it's similar time between them. I think the draws happen today. Their group's quite tough. I'm not sure of the day. I think it might be Wednesday that he would play on the Champions League rather than the Tuesday, which gives three days the other way as well. Yeah. Not 100% on that, but I think that is what's likely to happen. So for me, my read at the moment is it's probably going to be Villa, but with that caveat of the fixture makes sense for Forrest. So I think that one of those two games he is going to miss. I don't think that's groundbreaking. I think everyone probably thinks that it's going to be one of those two. At the moment, I would say it's more likely Villa. Um but it's a big risk. If you just want to avoid the risk, and considering Kane's expected points are very, very similar, then the obvious answer is we just go to Kane because you can't be. I know he he's also in a position where he's playing games every three days, but with the information we've got so far, you wouldn't have thought they all missed the game, would you? No, no, I definitely wouldn't have thought he'd missed the game. Um, I think I wonder if, like, actually after this game week, if it becomes a trend, but you actually see people who have two transfers downgrade Kane. To, sorry, downgrade Haaland to someone like Tony and then upgrade a midfielder to Son. I don't know. I'll, I'll put that money elsewhere. Or to De Bruyne if they feel like there's way more chance that he plays. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, uh, yeah I, I, I honestly think at this stage it's way more like to just be tactical as well, depending on the opposition, the way they're set up, um, what Pep thinks is best. Whereas later in the season, when you have the... And it's going to happen not even later in the season, actually, but within a couple of months. <laughs> this season because of the congested fixture period mm. there'll be periods where players are so fatigued they just can't play mm. um, in theory they could but they'll just be withdrawn um, just to manage their load whereas um, I think at this point that's unlikely the only caveat with Haaland is we know that's one of the main reasons that he joined City was to have that managed but it's more that they're doing that in anticipation of a problem yeah. rather, rather than it being reactionary um, would be my, my guess on that yeah I completely agree. I think I think early on, the top teams in general, for most of the players, are not going to rotate for rotate's sake. I mean, City will rotate tactically as they always had, and maybe Haaland is a special case because he's mentioned him, but I don't think he's going to purposely play weak players. That comes later, like you said. I think Champions yeah. League, semi-final, around there, depending on the state of the league, you're going to see that sort of thing happen. I don't think you're going to see rest for rest's sake from Pep. And then some of the other teams, we look down, we look down to Liverpool, um, they don't really seem to have an option at the moment. I think their bench is you know, thin as a result of all their injuries. They're playing every three days. I can't see them anywhere they particularly rest. I think the, the concern is Simicass has been coming on for Robertson. Part of me thinks, but when you look at Liverpool's bench, they, they don't really have any other options. So what other options has, has Klopp actually had to impact the game? You know, he, Simicass is a player that can impact the game, even though he was dreadful when he's come on. Um, he potentially could do. So, so part of me feels like that's why he's been making that sub. He hasn't really had any other options. 
Yeah. Um, I think also that was partially driven by the fact that Liverpool got a red card. Robertson making those driving runs, he can't make those runs anymore. So why not get the ball in early? You know, save someone having to run and leave the space at left back. I think that was partly to do with it as well. He puts the ball in early, Simigas. Yeah. But I think that's one area where Robertson maybe could be looking at because he's just he is the go-to player on their bench at the moment, outside Carvalho maybe, who's who's also a kid and not not proven in the to the Liverpool team yet. So. That's going to change, though, right, when Jota and Nunes come back in a few more weeks. So do you think that is going to have an impact? I, I suppose it will to certain players, but it's hard to judge now, I think, where that, where that will have the impact. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to have, an, like you said, I don't think it will have an immediate impact in the next few weeks. I don't think we should be worried about rotation with that team. I'm going to yell cat cat me away. <laughs> oh, no, how annoying. Literally come and sat next to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Penguin. <laughs> penguin, is your cat called Penguin? My, pen, my cat's called Penguin because my kid's named it and it's not even black and white. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was after Batman villains yeah love that um, absolute jokers <laughs> nice one uh, um, oh, what am I saying now what was I talking about Simicast. Jota and Nunes are they going to affect yeah. it yeah I'll just back up what you said about Robertson I'd be extremely extremely surprised if we don't if we see him suddenly dropped but don't be surprised if Simicast eats into his minutes more just as he's coming on as a sub uh, with Jota and Nunes yeah I think they're immediate I think they're immediate threats to Diaz's minutes in particular, and Firmino's definitely. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Firmino's just like straight out of their favoured 11 either, even though we saw him start. In fact, no, we didn't even see this, him start the Community Shield, did we, when Jota was around? Jota was injured before the Community Shields. So I wouldn't even be surprised if Jota's just first choice in that front three with Diaz and Salah, with Jota playing centrally. Um, and yeah, and, and sorry, sorry, Nuno's playing centrally, and Jota's a, in general can rotate with the other two. So yeah, I th- but I just don't think it's concerned right now. It just probably will be in a few weeks. Yeah, Liverpool don't really have the options at the moment. Um, I think Spurs, the wing-backs are obvious. Conte has done it previously. It's a very demanding position in that team. Mm. Perisic is, is the obvious one. I mean, I, one of the games I was lucky enough to watch was um, Spurs versus Wolves. I say lucky. The first half was dreadful from, from Spurs. I thought Wolves were pretty impressive. But something that was clear to me and anyone watching, I think, is that Emerson Royal is not the answer at right wing back for me. The attacks just go there to die. They, they So many times he just kills the attack. Mm. But he's been using him ahead of Doherty, which I, I guess it must only be a fitness thing. But maybe he just likes him because he's better defensively, which, you know, he is. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Doherty gets back in that team pretty shortly. But and given that price he's got, he's dropped... I think he's 4.8 or maybe even 4.7. That is a ridiculous price if he ever does nail down. I just don't know whether he ever, he ever will. But he might be one where if we get a leak, because I think we've been getting quite clear leaks with Spurs at the moment, because Paul O'Keefe is, a, is a, a name on Twitter. If you guys don't know, have a look at him. He's been doing his predicted 11s. They've been bang on. So I think he just has access to their training, I think, and sees which groups they're training in. So if you see Doherty in the 11 and you're struggling with... Going back to what we said at the beginning, you've got two free transfers, you don't know where to even use them, then I think he could be a cheeky one to bring in potentially, similar similar to Perisic. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just the worry is, is that going to then impact you next week if you do get injuries and stuff and suddenly in a position? But yeah, I think I think the wing-backs for Spurs will rotate. And the other option is Richarlison, isn't it? I think Richarlison has been coming on to Sun. Um, Sun was, I think, first or second most sub-player last season. He was obviously still fantastic. So mm. is that even matter for him? But Richarlison predominantly plays on the left-hand side of a front three. Um, he has played on the right occasionally, and he obviously can play up front as well. But it seems like Sun's the person he's going to impact most. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether Sun... 
Son is obviously always an option because he's a good player. But I talked yeah. about at the beginning of the beginning of the season. I think given his price and the the other options in Salah and stuff, I just don't really see him as a viable pick necessarily. That doesn't mean he can't. I mean, he could easily score two or three goals. And I don't care that he's been playing poorly. I think that can change in a heartbeat because yeah, he has been playing poorly when I watched him. Um, I just don't see him as a viable option personally. Yeah, I'm the same. I think. Um... Yeah, and in terms of on the wing backs as well, I know you nearly bought him in this week, and he did really well if people did buy him in. I just, I really don't like Perisic as a pick. Uh, it's, it's just a minutes thing. If you look at his minutes, something we covered in preseason, but his minutes when he's played for Conte in the past are so minimal, and because of the five subs, I think so often when he doesn't play, he comes off the bench. And some people might view that as a good thing because he can do so much in 20 minutes or so. But actually, like he just had, he did that recently. Like he came off the bench, got an assist from a corner. But in general, you just do not want players that are coming off the bench regularly. And that's, and that's going to happen regularly with Perisic. Um, even if he's coming on for 20 minutes, half an hour, there's, there's plenty of players you'd rather have that are guaranteed to be playing 90 minutes or starting every game week, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's an interesting one because I think it's actually, even if you look within like the analytics community, that's one that definitely divides, divides people. And well, I think, I think they risk, like him. Risk versus reward, isn't it? Yeah, they, they like him if his minutes was high, but because they're not, they just don't like him. That's the general yeah, vibe, exactly. I guess. Um, which I can completely understand, but that goes counter to what I like to do. I like to find these players that, you know, pe- people don't want to touch, but are potentially game breaking if you can get their minutes. But if he's not going to get the minutes, he's just going to cause you more headaches, isn't he? It's so frustrating because he, the fact that the Conte says he's, I mean, he's clearly bought him. I think he's levels above Sessegnon, and I do think he'll start the majority of games personally. But I, I, I'm in the minority view there. I think so. I, I have to take that on board, don't I? Yeah, I think he probably starts like half of games, maybe 60%, something like that would be my guess right now, if you look at the whole season. But yeah, like you said, if you can get him at the right time and that's your play style, mm. that's great. And that's why you see even those different play styles within people that use analytics. Mm. Some people will just, we know he's a good pick when he plays, is your read on, on how much he plays and whether you can get him at the right time when he does play. That's key, isn't it? And um yeah, I, th- I think I think he's an interesting option. It's, it's just it's just the whole package with him. The fact that he takes corners as a as a defender means mm-hmm. that he's already very likely to get a bonus in in any game that he plays. Really, especially if they keep a clean sheet. Obviously, a good defence, and we know offensively he is a, he is a bit of a monster. I mean, his crossing's ridiculous. He oh, could, yeah. he's good to score seven or eight goals, so he's extremely appealing. But over this period, it, it just it just is a massive danger, isn't it? And yeah. There's other viable options. I think that's that's the general point. There are. I know they didn't do well this week, but there are lots of other viable options, aren't there? So, hmm. um, yeah, I suppose I, I have to continue to be sensible through gritted teeth on that one. I think. Yeah, and for me, it's, like I said, it's purely a minutes thing for me. If he was starting, if we knew he was starting every week, he'd be well. His value should probably be like seven, I guess, relative to the other defenders. Same as Robertson, maybe. Yeah. So he's definitely. Um, yeah, it's just minutes. I don't think he's. A, when he's on the pitch, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah, I think he is. Arsenal uh, are the next team we're going to talk about. So they've, they've I don't think they've, have they made a single change to their eleven. I don't think they have so far. I think it's been the same. Someone in the chat can correct me if that's wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's been the same eleven um, yeah. consistently. Uh, they have got players like Inketia, Smith Rowe, who are options. Um, and yeah, with the games every three days, do we see him mixing it up, or is it? Arteta's very much from that Pep school of thought, isn't he? I feel like when the team's working, rhythm, momentum, I can't really see them any need to just 
just these players needing rests already, given their age profile and everything as well. I don't, I don't think he just he just drops a player. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, we talked about it before. Like we saw it at the end of last season, and particularly with the attackers, I can't see that changing until it needs to. Yeah, with midweek games, personally, particularly because they're playing so ridiculously well at the moment. I don't think Smith Rowe, who's I think now ready, now ready to go. And Nketiah are suddenly threats to their minutes. It's just they could be long. It's just that long term, it'll be interesting to see which player it is that they're a threat to. So Smith Rowe, like when he comes in, is he going to come in, come in more in Erdegaard's role? Um, is he going to come in um, for, um, I don't know, Martinelli and then Jesus plays on the wing or for Sasha and Jesus plays on the wing? I think that'll be interesting to see. But for now, I don't think they're a threat. But I think the defence is interesting because you've obviously got Ben White currently playing right back. Mm. Um, and then... But Tommy Asu is now fully fit, I believe. Um, and so if he does come in, which I think you just, I think Tommy Asu, like, is, is the, well, he is their first choice right back. Whether, like, Ben White's been good enough there for that to change long term, I don't, I, I don't, like, I doubt it. And it'd just be interesting to see, yeah, if he does come in there, whether, um, yeah, White or Saliba, which one it is that gets dropped. I'm pretty sure Gabriel is their, their main nailed centre back. Saliba started really well. Ben White left foot, isn't last he? year. Yes, yeah, of course. So he'll play left side of centre back. So it's which one of those two? It's quite an interesting thing, I think. I think there's a chance. I mean, fans seem to think that Gabriel might have a chance of slipping out. I personally don't see that. I think Gabriel's been pretty impressive ever since he came to Arsenal overall. Yeah. I know Ben White has been as well. Saliba's looked great and is the kid. Um, I don't think it's one you can you can com- you can confidently say each way. But I go back to the fact that while it's not broken, I think it will stay that way. I don't think Tommy Asso. Tommy Asu was a, was a decent. He came in and he did a decent job. And obviously the way they set up with Tierney being the bombing the bombing uh, left back, and then you had Tommy Asu almost Walker esque t- tucking in, works fairly well for them. But Ben White can also do that job. I know some fans have sort of criticised that right back he's not the the best. I think if anything it would just be Tommy Asu for White the way it goes. It all just stays the same. I feel like it's more likely to stay the same until till it becomes a clear problem for them, which at the moment doesn't doesn't seem to be. In these early days, anyway, um, yeah. I think I think I think we come back to the fact that we're talking about starts. A player's going to start coming off because they're playing games every three days. I think that with the five subs and everything, yes, that's more likely to happen. But how are you going to how are we going to avoid that? I, I don't think you you really can. I don't think you can go to the point where you start picking objectively worse players because they get ninety minutes over a player who maybe gets seventy minutes. I think it's I think- struggle. I think you, you, I think you can, but only like later in the season where there's a trend, and if it's a defender who's getting subbed around about sixty minutes, suddenly they become really unattractive if they're being subbed like fifty-five minutes one game, mm. seventy the next. Um, so I think that's probably the only the main, or even a attacker, I guess, if they're consistently being subbed off really early, yeah. then obviously that changes thinking. But we don't, I don't think we know that at this point, yeah. like you said. No, it's always going to come down to the individual players. So I retract that a bit. I mean, someone like Dunk, for example, four point mm. five million. Dun- can't see any reason why he'd be getting subs. There are options to, yep. to, to go there, and they're not particularly worse options. So I think that's fine. But I think if you are literally just bringing in a player um, because you think they're going to get ninety minutes, essentially, it's just uh, it's not it's not really the answer for me. I think trusting these guys early on. I think the rotation in general will be uh, is over egged early on, and I think if anything, you're just going to see more subs off, which. You know, for defenders, you could argue is a good thing in some in some cases. You might get lucky on the off the back of keeping a clean sheet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think Arsenal stays the same as they are generally for now, and I don't think it's anything to worry about. I think Chelsea are a decent topic of conversation given 
we have seen this a lot from Chelsea recently, um, back end of last season as well, where they just seem to, you know, fall apart, you know, just ship loads of goals suddenly. They, they go from looking incredibly good to incredibly poor very, very quickly. Um, Kante and Kovacic being out probably has a big impact. I think Kovacic is just, you know, he's, he's their best centre midfielder for me. And when he's out, it's a big notice. And Kante, you know, as soon as he's, he's injured, it's happened. Um, could, could just be happenstance is one game and, and Kante wasn't fully at the races but I think when Kante is bang on song and Kovacic that is a world-class centre midfield pairing there and they lose that we, we see for most of the top teams most of the top teams have got especially in City's case and Liverpool when they've got Thiago and Firmino in full form they control the game right in some way shape or form and usually that's why midfielders that can actually hold on to the ball Man United have had that issue for ages it's not always the case granted but I feel like when Chelsea lose those two, it's a big impact. Mm. And I, do you think that's going to have a negative effect? I mean, I've got double Chelsea defence. The fixtures mm. are great. Um, and we're talking about rotation in general, but just a general point on Chelsea, do you think they're viable options? Because people are really frustrated with Mount. Like, there's all sorts of issues seems to be going on there. Have they even scored a goal yet? Uh, I, I think they're, um, I think they're definitely viable options in defence. Yeah. I think just because it's been a tricky first three game weeks. Um, I think generally they're, they're a viable option in defence. We know that from how good their defence was last year. It's just that there's uncertainty because they're probably still, still even now probably going to sign another centre-back. Like Fafana, I think they're trying to sign, aren't they? And even like there's talk of if they don't get Fafana, they're going to bid for um, like even Harry Maguire or something mad like that. So they clearly want another centre-back, so that'll probably improve things. Um, but yeah, like people were literally last game week, Cucurella was a really popular transfer in. <laughs> I don't think one game week changes changes that that he was a good option there personally unless you think there's more chance he keeps playing at centre back because I guess Koulibaly is now out of the next game isn't he yeah but that's, just, that's just, just just for one game week if he does end up playing there um, so I still, no, I still think Chelsea's defence is good but I and I still think Mount is a really good option and people shouldn't be uh, like selling him now particularly before their next fixture Um yeah, it's just so, like, what's happened so far is just three game weeks, and it kind of goes back to that, I think, basically, like, I think. Yeah, Le- Leicester and Southampton next, three ge- yeah, three game weeks. I mean, what can you take from it? He hasn't looked great. Chelsea's attack hasn't looked good. He's got Leicester and Southampton next up. Yeah, and so often, as we said, when we talk about form, it happens to coincide with really good fixtures. In two game weeks, we could talk about people buying Mount because he's on form. Mm. Um yeah, so, uh, yeah. I really kind of, I kind of want their attack to do well because I want it to be more exciting and I want Sterling to be an option. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, but I, th- I think um, uh, like defensively, I think they're like, def- even though they conceded a lot in their first three games, well, they clean sheet game week one, didn't they, against Everton? But then conceded three against Leeds, and then I'm just checking now, three against Leeds, and then they yeah, two against Spurs. Like, I still think their defense is is good. Yeah, I mean the numbers are still decent for Chelsea. Um, they are um, so uh, over a long period, anyway. Certainly, and the main the main players everyone's got is James and Cucurella. I think that's the main two options people have got from Chelsea out in the defence, anyway. Mm. Um, I don't really have any concerns there. The Koulibaly red card probably helps Cucurella. Probably probably going to play left centre back, I imagine, because they don't have many options. I do think Cucurella is one of those... He's obviously incredibly... I don't think anyone knows the answer. Tuchel rotates a hell of a lot, or he has in the past. When the game's every three days, it's a position he does rotate, and we've not seen him in this team you know, with, with the options that he's got. 
So I don't think anyone can categorically say the issue there, but I do feel like given that Chilwell is is good enough when he's fit enough, um, that pro- potentially is a problem. But it's it's that back to that short term thing. I think Cooper yeah. is still a good short short term option, and then later on you can maybe sell him for to someone else. So it's not a massive issue right now. Some of the set pieces I noticed that he he sort of came off the set pieces. I think Mount started okay. taking them from both sides, mm-hmm. which is another positive for Mount, I guess. And James playing right centre back's not ideal, but I think if you react to what happens with Chelsea on any given game week, you end up in trouble because they can change it all around the next week. You know, Loftus Cheek playing at right wing back failed, then next week it could be James at right wing back, and he's suddenly one of the best picks in the game again straight away. Yeah. If you keep reacting, you end up in trouble. So I think generally just sticking with them for now is is again the viable option for me, and I think it's the the best play at the moment. See what happens. Yeah, I'm with you. Um... I, I guess just as like we've only been well say the big six we've been through five uh, teams that we've not the only team in the the big six with quotation marks we've not covered is Man United because not many people own players from them but again it, that's just because that's the way the game is at the moment we all own players from mm-hmm. those teams don't we so apologise if we've not mentioned the team you support but we're trying to uh, keep it as relevant as we can to what FPL's like at the moment absolutely. Um, I'm just going to bring up some slides here as well. This is from um, at 11 feet on Twitter, part of the analytics community. Um, if, you haven't, if you don't follow him, then I recommend doing so. Uh, he puts out loads of good stuff. So he's given us this slide here, which is projected clean sheets um, across from game week four to game week nine. So uh, looking to probably wildcard around that time or just generally looking at the next, um, how many is that? Five game weeks, one, two, three, four, five, six, sorry, six game weeks. And lo and behold, right at the top, we've got Manchester City. Um, obvious reasons, projected clean sheets uh, is the highest. Liverpool, Chelsea. Uh, if you're in the pod, then I recommend going to the uh, the YouTube just to look at this, uh, rather than we have to read it out. But we've got Man City right at the top, uh, projected around three clean sheets out of six, uh, 50%. Liverpool just below that, 2.79. Chelsea, 2.37. And then Arsenal, 2.06. We've got Brighton right up there as well, 2.01. That's valuable, um, isn't it? It is. Um, and I think with the Tottenham's fixtures after this week are a little bit iffy for a few games. So that's why they've dropped down and Brentford are right up there as well. So it's it's just more of the same, isn't it? It's not like people didn't know this. Man City, Liverpool, you know, the defence has not been great so far, but the numbers suggest that, that Liverpool have, are still good for clean sheets. And I don't see any reason to react to that. And I'm going to keep with my Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal defence, which is exclusively what I've got. Um, so, yeah, happy. Right, yeah, keep it simple. I think that, yeah, one of the main takeaways from there is just Brighton. Um, we saw last season, in terms of underlying data, they were the fifth or sixth, depending whether you look at goals conceded or XG conceded, fifth or sixth mm. best team in the whole league. And they're there fifth on that table for the next six game weeks. And they've got assets at 4.5 in Sanchez and Dunk. Yeah. Oh, and others as well. Um, who you can probably get, and that times up perfectly to when you might wildcard. So I think investing in Brighton Defender um, is really, really good value. Yeah, I think for me, if I could change anything now, I probably would drop Edison to Sanchez, given the way he's performed and and just the fact that um, Brighton is still so high on this list to give me that million if I wanted to and free up that Man City spot. I think that that would be useful. Uh, as, in, so as, in, as in you're, you'd consider that with a transfer if, you'd, if you had two and just wanted to burn one this week? Um, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose I would consider it. I've not. Yeah, I think I think Man City at home to Palace... Um, it's, still, it's still not a game I'd want to lose Edison for, even though it seems like Zaha's perfect to counter on at the moment. But um, I think that long term, structurally, 
to free up that million and that Man City spot. Now we've got maybe like Gundogan's the obvious the obvious pick here, right? He's um he's he's starting games, which is is pretty much good enough for him to be a viable option at that price and given yeah. his role. So maybe I want to move to that position if he does end up nailing down the minutes. And therefore, um, I think switching Edison to Sanchez is not a massive loss. Um, so, yeah, that's that's an option for me moving forward, I think. I'm going to bring up his other slide here, which is goals. So this is goals over the next six weeks. And uh, you won't be surprised to hear that the familiar names are right at the top. So Man City projected to score 15.55 goals over the next six weeks. Uh, we've got Liverpool in second, 13.73. Arsenal in third, 11.10, Spurs 10.84 in fourth, and Chelsea 10.65 in fifth. We then got Man United, Brentford, Villa, Leeds. Um, so again, the same players that most of us have got in our team. You know, Man City attackers, Liverpool attackers, Arsenal attackers, and Spurs. Um, I, there's no reason to move any of these guys on yet, is there? Until until the minutes become a problem, if it even is a thing. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard doing content in these times. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Try spice it up for you and throw something in, but I think the play is just to to chill, isn't it, for now? Yeah, I agree. I don't want to try and say something Force for the it. sake of it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, okay, should we move on to looking at some midfield enablers? Because that's what we say enablers, but sort of five point. I think it's sort of five to to six point five. We've looked at uh, it. Might be a yeah. slot in the team we want to utilize in order to get all these other guys, and it might be the only spot that. It's kind of interchangeable at the moment for most people. So we're going to bring up um, a slide here. It's on the screen. Um, you can talk us through it, Sam. Yeah. Um, so basically what I've got here is players that we've picked out that are priced between 5 and 6.5, just because that's an area that we know a lot of people are considering at the moment, um, in all, because they're either switching from Neto, for example, or from Bailey, or maybe looking to downgrade to upgrade elsewhere. So there's a lot of talk about them. Uh, we've just picked one uh, from each team. We tried to pick what we think is the best option within each team. Uh, we've excluded, um, I think Martinelli would actually fit into this price bracket. He's not on this list just because we would just say you just need to buy him. He's that mm. good that good an option. Um, but I think these are the players that some people might be considering. So we've got their price, uh, that their XG per 90 and expected assists per 90 from last season. So long-term data. Um, all of these players, I believe, yeah, played in the Premier League last season. Uh, and then their XG and XA per 90 this season, which is obviously an extremely small sample size. And then the predicted points on the right there is the massive data predicted points from FPL Review Review's website. So they're in order of price there. That's the order. Um, and I think uh, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's probably best if we just talk through them one by one, Luke. Um, for me, firstly, on Erdegaard, I think is an interesting one uh, because and, and for most people, not viable just because we already own three Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and even even in general, I don't particularly like him as a pick, a pick. To be honest, if you look at his long-term um, data as well, like it's not considering his price, I don't think it's really that great. If you look at the data of some of the other players, um, I think he, it's okay. It's Martinelli, isn't it? Martinelli kind of kills him in the three Arsenal. That's the main thing, isn't it? It's his expected minutes are very high, and they have good, very good fixtures. So yeah, yeah, like it's, it's okay. Yeah, but I think about like six point four. Meh. Like I, I personally, I didn't really like him to pick last year, mm. but but yeah, if, if you've seen something in the way he's playing and you think it's changing, then fair enough. But he seems to be playing a similar role to me. The whole team's just playing better. Um, but yeah, for most people, not viable, I guess, because of the other Arsenal options. Mm. Uh, I, I would imagine with Jesus, Martinelli, and then most people have Saka or a defender. 
Um, do you know? Do you have any other particular thoughts on him, Luke? No, no. I think I, I think he's a fine pick. You know, he's, he's highest out of all this bunch if you've got that amount of money. But I think given it's also about value, right? The fact he's got nineteen point three points here is great, but he costs six point four million, um, which is a sizable amount compared to some of the, the other options and. It's part of the meta strategy, isn't it, where you, you have to also consider your options from that team. So I wouldn't include him in the top three options from Arsenal. So therefore, he's, he's he wouldn't be a pick that I'd go for. But I do I do like the second one that I mentioned already, which is which is Rodrigo, um, because although he is also at the higher end of this this price list, the fact that he's on penalties, you know, up front for Leeds, whilst Bamford's out at least, um, just make him a, a really Appealing option. I, I think he's he's massively overperformed so far in his game, three game weeks. I mean, one of his goals was literally on the goal line, wasn't it? Which has made his xG jump right up. Um, you can see historically, you know, it's fine. 0.19 and 0.18, you know, combined. That's not terrible uh, for the price at all. Mm. Um, but really, the most important column is the is the predicted points, seventeen point nine. If you're sat with someone like Neto in your in your team, um, and you have got a spare million, then you can see that you're expected to score around two extra points. So, to me, given the the, the stage of the season that we're in, that's a sizable enough amount to think about that transfer at it's some a, point. It's a perfect example again of what you mentioned before. In fact, I think you even mentioned his name of someone you might go for now because short term is a good option. Um, but we know that Bamford will probably come in, and also Sinistera is a threat to his minutes as well. But if that starts to happen in a few weeks, it might be when you're wildcarding anyway. Mm. Um, so I think it comes down to that um, as well. Um, and as you can see, like that's this is all per 90. So per 90, his underlying data was really good last season. He just didn't have consistent minutes. Um, really good for his price. And so if he can get close to that again, obviously it's, like you said, it's, it's inflated at the moment because of that one chance. Um, he's, I think he's a good option for the coming game weeks because... Because of the fixtures, but he might be one actually for the game week after next because they're playing Brighton next. Um, yeah, tough, tough but, game and then some nice games. So yeah, and, and if you like, you know, I, I wouldn't. If you've got two free transfers and you need to use one, I would just do it now. Um, but, Apparently, he's rising in price tonight again. So okay, yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not overly keen on him long term, but I think short term is absolutely fine. And I just think people need to be wary that he has overperformed so far in these three game weeks. I don't. A midfielder playing up front. Is always going to be appealing in, in FPL anyway, and then you add penalties onto that, and a team with good fixtures, nice price. You can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. I just think that, um, yeah, he's, he's not he's not necessarily a world beater, but it's a great it's a great run. I think a, a great time to pick him. Uh, obviously, a better time would be at the beginning of the season when he scored a load of points, but it is what it is. Rashford comes next, six point three million as well. Um, data last season was poor when I looked at him, and that's why I couldn't understand why people were going with him. It was less than Langer well. per 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but 17.2 points, obviously scored. Um, again, had a few chances so far this season. Um, I don't know if Anthony's signing, or even if he does, I suppose it won't affect things for a little while. Yeah. So, yeah, what are we saying on him? It's just Ronaldo as well, isn't it, ultimately? Like, how long can he not start Ronaldo? Um, oh, I don't know. After this well, week, he, the fact that they beat Liverpool. And he started him and they lost 4-0 to Brentford. <laughs> I find that situation quite amusing <laughs> because Ronaldo's tried to move away and just can't find the moves. It's just like amusing. I mean, like it's just interesting because you've got a player who's one of the best players of all time with this huge ego and suddenly they've beaten the best team in the league, one of the best teams in the world without him. 
And so presumably Ronaldo's going to, sorry, Rashford's going to keep playing there. But you kind of think, oh, how long can that go on for? Yeah. And I suppose the reason I put him in this list, I've not seen many people consider him, is we know Rashford, I think three seasons ago, he scored 17 league goals in a season. So I don't think you can ignore a player like that if they start to play regularly and start to score goals again. Um, even though he was really poor last year, if suddenly Man United start to play well, he's a player people will consider, which is why I put him in this list. Uh, Hecken you says, would you rather pay six million for Harrison? Um, we picked these players just because uh, I think they're the best option from that particular team. Jack Harrison, I looked at and um, from FBref, 365 days data, non-penalty XG plus XA was 0.25, um, which was less than Rodrigo's. If you combine those, you can see that up there. So I think given there is a price difference, so fair enough. And like I said, I do think Rodrigo has overperformed. But I think Harrison historical data is not good enough where I'd consider him over Rodrigo. I know he's also playing very well at the moment. His similar players compared to, I looked at, number number one was Jordan Ayew straight away, which tickled me. Uh, Anthony Gordon's up there, Dwight McNeil. Um, I don't really see or see the appeal of Harrison particularly over Rodrigo at this point. I think if it was long term, like we mentioned, you weren't doing it, then I would pick Harrison over Rodrigo simply because of the minutes thing. But um, Sinestra is an interesting one because... He has predominantly played on the left side. He is a left winger. I think the view from Leeds fans is he will eventually play on the right-hand side because Aronson is much better in the centre. So you'll have Aronson in, in, the, in the number 10 role, Harrison on the left, Sinestra on the right, and Bamford up top with Rodrigo either dropped or competing with Bamford when he's inevitably injured. Yeah. Um, but there isn't really any yeah, direct evidence to say yet that that is definitely going to be the case. It just seems to be the feel, right? And um, I think I support that. So, yeah, Harrison, minutes-wise, makes sense. The re- only reason I mention that is because, obviously, Sinestra could just come in on the left and replace Harrison, so maybe his minutes aren't as good as I expect. But, yep. um, yeah, that's what that's why we've we've left him off of this list. But he, he is an option, and it's not much worse than a lot of the other people. We just didn't want to fill up the screen with every option. Because I think, from especially Brighton and Leeds, there are quite a few viable options here. Yeah, uh, and, and, and similarly, that's why we've picked um, Pascal Grobbright right, over the likes of McAllister. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, as well, uh, uh, Trossard as well. Mm. Like, Trossard's also a good option. I think he's just about 0.7 or 0.8, something like that, more expensive than Gross. Um, their under, underlying data from last season is actually really, really similar. It's basically just reversed. So uh, Trossard has more goal threat. Gross is slightly more assist threat, mm. which is why he's not slightly more expensive, I guess. Um, so I think they're both both good options. So if you've seen something that makes you want to go Trossard over him, and you've got the money to do it, and you know last season you had a bigger goal threat, then I think Trossard's also a good pick. Um, but yeah, I think Gross, again, because of what we've mentioned as well around Brighton's fixtures, particularly at this time, I think he's a, he's a nice little option. Yeah, I like, with him it's always been minutes. We've seen how mm. good he can be as an option. It's just being in a Brighton team where he's not always had the most amount of minutes. I think um, We Rose, another name on Twitter, said something like he had 57 minutes per squad, which is mm. basically a, a metric he uses where when he's been available... Um, how often or how many minutes has he played rather than just general you know, minutes over seasons. He's used it depending on when he's available to actually play within that squad. So it's, it's relatively low, but we have seen that he has had fantastic seasons. He's playing in this advanced role, taking some set pieces. The hope was he had penalties. It looks like McAllister's taken them. But when I compared the data between McAllister, McAllister uh, Grob and Trossard, Grob was marginally better. I think Trossard's the fact that he leans more on goals, like you've mentioned, is his 0.34 combined, but it's slightly more on goals. He, he's definitely an option as well. Um, I think the fact they've signed the left wing back 
who may be integrated into the team, puts a little bit of doubt around Trossard in terms of where he's going to play. It may mean that he plays further forward and his data improves. It may mean it doesn't necessarily mean that, right? Just because you play further forward doesn't mean that it will. So for now, I kind of like um, Grob the most while he's in the team, at least. Um, but yeah, like I say, Trossard's very comparable, and I think those two are standout. McAllister with penalties is fine, and he's playing well, but I, I, his long-term data is not good enough for me to suddenly think he's, he's made that massive jump straight away. Yeah, I'm going to have to call you out on, on you calling him Grob, Luke. Grob. <laughs> yeah, I know, I love his, the, the fake Gross. B. Gross. Gross. Yeah. yeah. It's like calling Trossard Trobard or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's Trobard. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people refer to him as Pascal Grob. Grob. Yeah, Gross. Okay, maybe I'm missing something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think Eze is a, a funny one. He's like one where, for me personally, like as a football football fan, who like saw him play in the championship. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's unbelievable. And actually, his game on the weekend was particularly like unbelievable. If you look at his data for like. Uh, like pass completion, dribbles, etc. And if you just watch the game, he was he was amazing. Apparently, I could see it even just from the highlights. But he's probably an example of a player where it's probably actually quite helpful to look at the data um, in terms of as an FPL FPL pick, because maybe there's a chance. Um, and I'm talking for FPL here that he might flatter to deceive um, because he's so good at dribbling, for example, so great on the eye. Uh, maybe he's the kind of player where he's a great footballer, but maybe won't be a great FPL asset. Maybe that's what we're seeing because we, but. You know, I, I hope we see him become a really good option, but I just think out of the ones we've got here, and it's reflected in his predicted points there as well. Um, he's he's not an option for now, I don't think, but no. it'd, be, it'd be great to see him become an option, I think, because he's such a great player to watch. And just really? it, after he had that horrendous injury as well, it's really great to just see him playing again. Yeah, I think their team, I mean, it's been spoken about a lot, but if Elise, as a, if they, all these players can get on the pitch at the same time somehow, um, it's extremely exciting. And it's really from game week 10 that Palace have got that run. People are just going to go to Zaha for obvious reasons, but maybe at that point we will have, well, we'll have ten weeks of data, which again is not ideal, but it's better than three weeks of data. So hopefully, um, Eze can have shown a little bit more, and maybe people will look to him as a, as a bit of an enabler. The team structures are going to be different at that point, I think. Like we've mentioned, I think some of the forwards are going to be more viable, Mitrovic, Slanky, other people. So. Um, it might be the makeup of our team is slightly different, and we do have to think about him. Uh, Gray's on here, 5.5 million. He's the next one down at 15. Uh, he's actually got more projected points than Eze, but um, yeah, same price, 15.7 points. I think people bought him in last week because uh, he was suggested on review as well, and he scored straight away. Um, he's not got a massive history of scoring goals, but he is a nice option just because they've, they've got nice fixtures at the end of the day, haven't they? And I think um, yeah. I think he's a, he's more than viable pick as well. I think I, I mean. Even though Neto's at 15.8 there, 15.7, I think the fixtures are probably better on Gray's side. Um, and there's some speculation around Neto maybe going to Arsenal at this moment. I don't think that would maybe mean that he drops out of the team, but I think he could just switch at any point. I don't know if you've seen, but Pepe's actually gone out on loan, I think, today as well, I think I saw. Oh, really? Oh, cool. That's yeah, cool. which almost, considering he's the main backup for Saka on that side, um, suggests to me that they are confident of bringing someone in. Um, maybe that is Neto, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's... I think as well, um, sorry, just to go back to Gray as well, like Gordon could be leaving as well, I think, to go to Chelsea. Yeah. Seems fairly likely, which is absolutely, seems absolutely mad to me. <laughs> to be yeah, honest. I don't really understand that one. When you take into account the price. Um, anyway, I, I guess that means Gray's, obviously Gray's minutes are, are higher as well. And you can see when he plays last season, his underlying data is okay, like pretty good for his price, I would say. Mm. Um, so that's maybe why he's an option as well, just because his expected minutes are a lot higher now with Rich Allison leaving. But now also with potentially Gordon leaving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. And then you were touching on Neto. 
Yeah, it's interesting because it's like you can see, can't you, looking at that data there from last season, why he was so popular at the beginning of the season. XG. Um, yeah, um, like and I'd, 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 it's fine if you've got Neto to keep him. I think, like that's one thing I'd probably yeah. take away from this is if you've got Neto in your team, like don't see him as like a fire you need to put out, but maybe as like maybe you need to restructure and try and get a, a similar price player uh, as a defender. Or maybe prefer like Rodrigo in the short term, for example. But it's definitely like not an immediately I need to get him out kind of transfer. No, he's he's more on there just to show the you know what you could be doing with the money elsewhere potentially. And it's the fact that he's dropped already is the issue. It's his price changes. I come back to again, isn't he? He's he's there for a, a yardstick more than anything. But it's so annoying that these players drop when I pick Neto on my team and I feel like I had to abandon him early. And I actually think over the seven eight game week period, given Wolves fixtures, he's still a very viable option. And I would I would have liked to just have hold that. Like mm. I know people may call me crazy, but um, what Wolves do frustrate though, don't they? Watching the game, they they're obviously a very good team on the ball now. They've got lots of very technical players. They just don't seem to be able to find a way to generate high xG chances. Nearly all of the way they create chances are. Neto cutting in on his left foot and shooting from long range, or trying a cutback, which usually ends up to Neves or someone on the on the uh, just outside the D of the penalty area and having a long shot. Um, there was a few times where they broke in against Spurs and had a header maybe close to the box, but it's it's quite a common thing for Wolves, I think, where a lot of their chances are very low xG. Um, maybe that will click at some point, given the the, the calibre of players they've got and the fact they've changed formation. It might be just a thing that will that will work into it, but. It seems like Jimenez, as much as he's declined as a player, it seems, is still quite key to the way they need to set up close to the box and have that, that presence around there. So it'll be interesting to see how that works moving forward because they were so tragic last year. Their decline was ridiculous. And so now they've brought in all these nice technical players. Are they are we suddenly going to see an upside? But it just seems to be that same problem of creating yeah. creating decent quality chances. Uh, Almiron and Bailey are on here again. I think... Um, obviously they're cheaper than the others they're 5 and 4.9 million Al- Almiron's on here just simply because he's, he scored against Man City you know people were talking about him pre-season a little bit his, his data is just not good enough for me for a long time I, I like the way he's, he's starting in a front three position it's cheap enough where you could punt it but I just don't I just don't like him personally <laughs> I really, I oh, it is. yeah his data is horrendous <laughs> like, yeah. and it's, it's not even like that's him like having a really staggered season. I was really surprised when I looked at his minutes and he played lows last season as well. Like, yeah, his underlying data for those sorry for those listening, his xG per ninety last season was zero point one one, and his expected assists per ninety last season was zero point zero three, zero point zero three. Yeah, yeah. And for balance, like, it's had a massive jump so far, but it's three yeah. weeks, isn't it? Yeah, and he's playing with better players now, I guess. Like they've made good signings. Some of them in January last season, etc. So maybe maybe he'll improve, but I just I just could not bring I couldn't bring myself to make that pick. No, I think you, so, I think part of his fixtures as well. The Newcastle yeah. fixtures take a bit of a turn soon. Bailey at four point nine, he's right down the bottom now. Um, it's interesting because it seems like his minutes have now got better, given the fact he's scored again in the cup and. Um, Historically, his data, although it doesn't suggest it here, I thought was a little bit better than that coming from the Bundesliga. But that surprises me. I thought it, when he first signed, I was quite excited about him. So obviously that's from last year from Villa, isn't it? So that that would explain why. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. Villa's games are, are pretty bad now, aren't they? And obviously the situation there, I don't think he's. I, I think he's fine. To be fair, I think he's fine just to have a new team at that price. It's not. It's point four more than Reed, so if you've got it hanging around, it, I'd rather have Bailey on my bench to come on than, than Reed. But using him as a starting player over this period doesn't feel optimal. It's funny you say that because I literally just sold Bailey for Reed last week. <laughs> oh really? Okay. 
just just to save money. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been a, a strategy that a lot of people have looked at to save yeah. it. But you did, that's obviously the the one that caused you to lose that point one, isn't it? Yeah, painful, painful. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, as you said, it's just Bailey's one that you probably don't want to don't want to rely on as your only playing first sub. No. It's, it's unlikely you're going to want you shouldn't want Bailey to play him every week now because we know he's going to be in and out so much. But mm. also, you'd rather have a first sub that's a bit more boring that's going to play every week probably as well. I would suggest. Um, yeah. So I, I think you're particularly if you're only playing four or three or four at the back and you can get like a four point zero. 4.0 or 4.5 defender first on the bench. I think that's a better option. So for what you probably need Bailey for, I think there's lots of other better options now. Agreed. Right. Should we move on to? Um, I, I've put together my usual Man City team for this week. Um, it's early days. We've not had the press conference yet. Um, it's on the screen here, so I'll talk through it. Edison and goal. Carl Walker at right back. We've got Stones and Diaz at centre back. Cancelo at left back. Rodri Gundogan and De Bruyne in midfield. And then we've got uh, Foden, Haaland and Bernardo Silva up top. Like I say, it is very early days and we've not seen the injury news. So um, I think at the moment, given Man City's injuries, the team's quite solid. I think if Ake come, is suddenly magically fit and back, there's a very good chance he would come back in for uh, one of Stones or Diaz. I feel like um, it would still be Stones at this point, but... Remind me, we'll talk about DS again in a minute because obviously he yep. dropped this week. Um, I think the fact that Grealish has still got this knee knock means that um, I've excluded him. I think if he's fit, I would have to reassess again. I think given Pep's comments about control, the fact that the game against Palace strikes me as a similar game in terms of countering ability, uh, like we saw against uh, Liverpool with Zaha, um, you know, St. Maximum, it's a similar situation there. And he specifically mentioned afterwards he likes players who can control the ball to stop that situation arising. That would make me think that Grealish would play this game um, if he was available. But at the moment, doesn't look like he is. Uh, the main area of risk for me would be Bernardo Silva at the top right there. So I think that could easily be Mares. I know he played uh, all of the minutes in the friendly, but I don't think that matters. I think, like I've talked about, uh, momentum with Pep is a thing. He's mentioned Mares many times as a player who can play if he wants to every three days. And he is, obviously, that's his specialist position. Um, so I think Mares for Silva is is very very possible. And as a result, Silva could play where Gundogan is, um, especially as, again, if we're talking about control, I think Bernardo Silva in centre midfield, as good as Gundogan is, is an option as an individual and as good as he is as an option uh, to enable Haaland and to get that sort of, um, pressure in the box, give Hart or Holland takes the space, Gundogan runs in or vice versa. Silver offers a lot more control in centre midfield for me. And he was obviously fantastic at it last season. So we're still not 100% if the Silver thing was the whole links to other teams or whether it's a particular tactic for Haaland. I think I'm more edging on the it's a tactic for Haaland at this stage now, as soon as it's carried on. Um, but I do think he's still a, a, a slight risk, Gundogan, where Silva could come into that centre midfield spot and Mares could therefore play on the right instead of Gundogan. So those three players, Gundogan, Silva, Mares, I'm not sure which two of those three will play, basically. Outside of that, given the injury news we've got, I think the team's fairly clear um, that it will be something like this. Um, are, you, yeah. are, you, are you still expecting another, them to sign another fullback, or do you think that's, that ship sailed now? I don't know, I think he come out and said it's not going to happen. So. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to happen, no. I think um, I think Gomez is it. Um, yeah. So they're going to roll like that. I think if they need to use right-backs at any point, then Stones will be used there. Again, this whole preemptive thing, people 
people saw firsthand why Pep has used Stones at right back, despite people saying, well, you need Walker for countering. Well, if you don't lose the ball at all and you've got more control, then you don't need him to counter. And Walker got torn apart anyway. So if Stones yeah. is able to keep possession of the ball better at right back than Walker, then he could use him there and sort of preempt that situation. Um, I don't think it's a worry for now, given the, the injuries that they've got anyway, but it is something to think about long term, maybe. So, yeah, it's, the DS1 people had issues with that, I think, thinking, well, if they look back at last season, Diaz did drop out a few times. And yes, it was often the home game, I think, just before Champions League, where it could just have been rest. But he specifically has mentioned using Stones for his better progression of the ball, his better passer. Mm-hmm. Diaz has not been at his top level for quite a while. I've mentioned it quite a few times. Um, I think when they lose Laporte, they lose a lot of passing out of the back. Ake is de- he's good. Don't, they're all good. Don't get me wrong. But Laporte and Stones are their best two passes out from the back. So when you play Ake and Diaz, you do lose a little bit of that. So I do feel like he brought Stones in, um, who's been immaculate every time he played. I know he didn't cover himself in glory in that game from the highlights I've seen and what people have said. I haven't seen the game, but that's what people say. Um, that's what he was trying to achieve there, I think, is more control in the game to stop the counter. It, it, never, it didn't work. They still managed to counter. Um, but moving forward, I don't think Diaz is 100% nailed in games. It is horses for courses. Stones will occasionally come in, I think, and there is always the chance that he could replace him. But until we've got Laporte and Ake back, you don't have to worry about it, right? Once Laporte's back, to, just to go back on that, they've now got that player who can pass out from the back, and Laporte and Diaz would probably be the first-choice pairing, I think, long-term. I think all the information we've got over many seasons now is that when Laporte and Diaz are available, they generally have played. There was that one season where Laporte didn't play for a lot of it because he had injuries and he was he dropped out of the team. But outside of that, those two generally play. So I still feel like they are the first choice when available. Is that Have I just mumbled and gone all around the place there with people? Did that make some sort of sense? Made sense, mate. <laughs> right, OK. So I wouldn't get stones. I wouldn't panic on Diaz. Um Cancelo is still the clear pick. People have mentioned, I think one of the questions we had actually was about Cancelo. He's had a bit of a drop off um, because of his role. I'm not, I'm not, I think with Cancelo, you pay for the security of starts. If you react to three weeks of data, I think you're in trouble. I think we've seen the fact that he can play left back, right back, inverted, um, or he can play on the outside and that can change in any given game week. You know, there's no, there's nothing to say that he won't change it. I think in the second game, Cancelo played more as a winger than inverted. Mm. Um, I can't remember which way around it was. It wasn't West Ham. It was the other game. I can't remember what it was now. And that was the game he got an assist in as well. He got an assist in the friendly yesterday. Funnily enough, when he turned to uh, right back, I think he went to right back when Wilson Esbrand came on. It's going to chop and change. I don't think you can just say, oh, Cancelo's been poor for three weeks, I'm going to get rid. There is a big enough gap, like I said at the beginning of the season, when you've got Walker, where the value is still okay to have Walker over Cancelo. But I think you will get yourself into trouble with minutes, with the fact that he kicks up bonus, the fact that he can change his role in any given game. And I still like Cancelo. But I will admit, I'm a massive Cancelo fanboy, so maybe I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you, mate. I think Cancelo is just the obvious pick. Um, still, for people who don't own him, I still think he's a good buy as well at this stage. Um, like def- definitely, in my opinion. And I think, yeah, based on what you've just said there, there though, like you, you wouldn't buy um, a centre back or Walker, but you wouldn't panic if you own them, basically. No, I wouldn't. I, I, this is why I, I mean, I went in my team with Edison and Cancelo. The reason being is I thought all of them were, were slightly at risk um, in some way. 
and that's that, that's why I did it. I think that if I could go back, I'd probably probably would have Walker over Edison. Um, so I think he's the next viable option. But we saw in the game that we just, you know, he's not quite the same level of player that people see. You know, he can be got at now. And historically, I think he's played 2,000 minutes around roughly in the last couple of seasons. Now, there has been other factors behind that. But that does suggest he's not fully nailed as well, right? But I, I still think Walker's fine. I, I wouldn't be looking to panic. And Man City are right at the top of the clean sheets for the next four weeks. It's not a, it's not a move you need to be making for me. So, yeah. Yeah. If I could go back, I'd have um, Captain Saliba last week and bought some Maxima. <laughs> yeah, well, Saliba, Saliba, Saliba at that price is obviously a, another reason why you might look to to sell a man like a Diaz to a Saliba to free up yeah. money. I don't think that's terrible given the fixtures. You could do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the, that's the team that I think will be able to play. And like I said, those are the three options: Gundogan, Silver, and Mares. I'm not sure which two of the three will play, but we're fairly confident the others with the current injury information we've got. So hopefully, I get some something close to a te- uh, sort of eleven out of eleven or ten out of eleven. We'll see. Uh, what else we've got to talk about, Sam? We're just the review team, isn't it, before we finish off? Yeah, then we're done, I think. So for those who don't know, the review team is basically a team we're running where we use reviews, massive data model, and we set it up as it advises our optimal squad at the beginning of the season. And we literally just log on every week, we check the score, we go on to review, and we make the top suggested transfer in terms of expected value. And it's it's interesting because of the, uh, uh, the low... Like I'm just going to turn my close my door while they're making a little noise. Over. Yeah, no worries. Um, because of the low prices, uh, the teams it's, it's got very it's had very little to do each week so far. So even even this week we've got uh, two transfers, but it's only suggesting to do one. Um, it's just suggesting to do netto to gross as um, <laughs> the transfer. Um, we did it suggested Diaz to James in, in game week three, so that's what we did then. Uh, and it's currently 1.7 uh, million in the world at the moment. Have you got the uh, the team on the screen, Luke? I've just put it up now while you were just finishing. Okay. Yeah. Did you mention he got 44 points in it, which was the same as 44. me? 44. Yeah. Uh, it started with triple Man City defence and went off that last week. Went Diaz to James. That was the suggested. It suggested doing that role in the transfer. Then this week it suggested the same. Suggested the same. Just netto to gross. Roll the transfer. In fact, like the the something I think the sixth best option that it recommended on the website was actually to, to burn a transfer for itself this week. But literally the team is built on the massive data model, so we're going to expect that regularly, I guess. Yeah, and it does depend on what settings you apply for free transfer value. I think um, it, it so, values burn quite highly at 1.5. So we have it on the default settings and mm. set um, to the next... Uh, I think at the moment it's on the next five game weeks, but doing it as if we... We're trying to do it as if most people would think, so as if we probably... Mm. Uh, wildcard eight or nine so we've got to set up like that and then we'll have to do some things based on intuition like when we play chips and stuff when we get there but most stuff we just let it decide what to do and it's just so at the moment we're both beating it actually in overall points like we have to know that's good yeah, I mean it I looks know. very similar to my team to be honest but it looks it doesn't look like it's got any problems to me in the coming games I still don't, I don't particularly like Alisson in goal but Liverpool have got um I mean he's been better value than Robertson so far hasn't he so they will <laughs> seem to be right on that so far um, and they've got obviously Bournemouth at home, so they wouldn't be surprised if he keeps a clean sheet there. So yeah, I don't the losing of money is potentially an issue, but I do think it's more set up for the longer term with Solanke to come in with Kane already over Haaland. You know, it's already potentially a couple of transfers ahead of me, maybe um, by just seeing it through and, and not too far off me anyway. So there we go. Yeah, so that's where we're at with that, and we'll have an interesting experiment over the next well rest of the season. Yeah, we'll see how it gets on. 
Um, I think that's it, Sam. Did you want to do a wrap-up? I hope you guys in the chat have enjoyed it. Uh, it's oh. good to be back, isn't it? Yeah, it's been great. I'll just say was, we had like a few questions we went through, but we actually just answered them as we went then. So we had questions from Jack Walker, James Owens, ATO Index, YC Yang, and FPL Royalty all on Twitter. We've answered your, all your questions as we've actually gone over the uh, over the podcast. Apart from one that says, should we sell TAA? And our answer to that is no. <laughs> um, Absolutely not. Yeah, the rest I think we've covered as we've gone. Uh, and yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening again. It's been great. There's been about 90 people watching, which is really encouraging. We appreciate it. And we'll probably be back next week with an earlier podcast, we think, just because of our weeks. We think we'll be going to be recording it on Monday, possibly. But if you... Um, follow us on Twitter. We can keep you up to date on that. Subscribe on YouTube as well. And Captain Seller. Love it. Love it. Superfly with the you can't resemble Putin and then keep the keep the same hairstyle, mate. Mohawk, long hair, anything. Great stream. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. I get Putin, um, Tom York. <laughs> I, I, I get it a lot. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. I'll take that on board and I'll try and change my hair. Read my exact question out, Jack War said. Uh, did he? Okay, I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, uh, we'll catch you later, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one.